Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company. And in the studio with me I have a very special guest, Raymond Nahum. Did I say your surname correctly? Quite correctly, thanks. Wonderful. Welcome to the studio. It's great to to have you here. And I met you probably about two or three months ago now when I was visiting up in the beautiful part of Nelson Bay. Um, and we were having a weekend there. And I, I came across you and was inspired by you at that time. So I thought this would be a, a person that would have a good testimony to share. So thank you for coming in and being willing to share your testimony. Thank you for your time. Yeah. So perhaps we can just talk a little bit about what you currently do. What keeps you busy nowadays? I'm retired at the moment. Okay, well, that's, so that's nice. So I don't do much except uh, church work. Okay. Um, that I help about in the church, and uh, perhaps sometimes I give uh, Sabbath school lessons, and um, that's about it. But uh, there's quite a bit to keep me busy. No doubt, because I remember when we uh, we were booking this appointment, uh, you had quite a few things on at the time, and we had to find a, a time slot that would actually work for you. So. Uh, I, I can understand that sometimes in retirement sounds like people are doing nothing, but people can get quite busy during retirement. Yes, I must say. I'm new to the church, to okay. the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I've only been in the church for about two and a half years. Right. So when I came to Nelson Bay, I was living in Tasmania uh, before that, and I wanted to retire. I lived in New South Wales for 33 years hmm. in uh, Sydney. And then I wanted to leave Sydney, so I went to Darwin and okay. stayed there for a year and a half. I could not take the weather so well. So, yeah, so Tasmania is quite extreme weather compared to what you get in Darwin, That's I guess. correct, because yeah. the reason I went to Tasmania is because I did not want to return to Sydney. Hmm. And uh, so I retired early uh, because of medical condition. And I went down to Tasmania and lived there for 14 years and worked there for about seven years. And uh, that's when I, by reading the Bible, I came across the Sabbath. And uh, I believed that the Sabbath was the right day to worship. And that was just simply from reading the Bible? That's correct. Wow. Um, so... Um, I will talk about that a little later, but mm. I'll tell you more about me. So when I my work ended in Tasmania, I decided not to retire there. It was quite pleasant, but it was very cold to retire in yes. a place like Tasmania. So I decided to come back to New South Wales, and that's when I decided to live in Nelson Bay. Mm. So when I arrived in Nelson Bay, I contacted uh, the church at Nelson Bay, and we have a very, uh, very nice pastor. And to my surprise, he said to me, I want you to take the Sabbath lessons. And I said, oh, no, I can't do that. He said, you can. 
And, of course, it took a lot of studies because I'm a perfectionist and I wanted to do things well. Hmm. And uh, so I started doing them. And and at the moment now, I think uh, we'll see what happens because I've had about three or four lessons since I've been here. I've been here for a year now. Okay. and that's what keeps me busy, basically. And uh, we have few charities also that we take care of, mm. one charity in particular. And, um, and yes, that's it. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, you tell us you've lived in a number of places in Australia. Were you born in Australia? No. Okay. I was born in a place called Kano in Nigeria, which is a sub-Saharan town wow. in Africa. Mm. And my parents... Were Lebanese. Okay. My father came to Africa uh, because his brothers went to Brazil, and he decided to come to Africa because his vaccinations weren't in order, so he couldn't travel with them to Brazil, and right. he had to stay a few weeks back to get his vaccinations in order. Then he changed his mind hmm. and went to Africa, and this is where he met my mother, and they were married in the 30s and so on, 40s. Okay. I don't know when exactly. Yes. We come from a place, my father comes and my grandparents come from a place in Lebanon in the mountains called Miziara. It's mm. a town. And I wanted, to, when I became a Seventh day Adventist, I really wanted to find out where our name is from and why, where, where did we come from. And I rang my sister up to find out where we came from. And we come actually from a place called Malalula in Syria. Because our religion is um, is Maronite, okay, and the Maronites in Syria are related or belong to the Maronites church, the Syriac church in Antioch. Hmm, that's interesting. So they're Christians, yeah. And the town Malalula actually speaks Aramaic. My grandparents must have been able to speak Aramaic. Yes. So there is quite a history there, which I haven't dug any further, Mm. which tells me that um, we have a Christian background. It goes a long way back. Uh, So they came to Lebanon because they were being persecuted. Mm. Apparently there's only about a couple of dozen families that actually came to that town and it just grew. And uh, so when they went to Africa, I was born there. And uh, my mother wanted to send me to a decent school. And uh, she decided, I don't know who she consulted, but she wanted me to go to a boarding school overseas, Mm. to a Jesuit school, because we were Catholics and my father was quite religious and uh, we went to church often. And so they sent me to a Jesuit school in Lebanon. And, but they didn't have much money, so I wasn't able to come back for holidays. Right. Because so what F- age were you, would you have been at this five time? Five years old. Okay. Five years old. And but, your, your parents were religious? They were Catholic themselves? My father was hmm. because I remember when I returned to Africa at the age of 11. But prior to that, I went uh, at the age of five. I went to Lebanon. I stayed one year with my grandparents attending a school in the village, mm. which is very interesting because I remember coming out of the convent or wherever it was, and I would go through the fields and I would go under the grapevine and grab a handful of grapes 
and ate it. Wow. Uh, it was I could still remember that. Mm. I remembered when my father, before he left me and went back to Africa, we would sit under a fig tree and we would eat figs all day. I still remember that at the age of five. It was wow. a really wonderful time. Yeah. But after that, when I went to the Jesuit school as a, as a boarder, um, things weren't so good. They didn't feed as well. Mm. They uh, were quite harsh with us. And uh, so I did not enjoy it at all. I would spend the whole year for five years. I think I only went back once to Africa mm. for a holiday, for a vacation, yes. a summer holiday, and then back to school. But in 1958, there was some kind of revolution in uh, the uh, struggle in Lebanon. Mm. So there was bombs being left off, let off everywhere. Wow. So my parents got me back to Africa. Mm. And so was, in between that, did they also have times where they would come and see you and visit you in no, Lebanon? No, 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 so no. there was it, very little contact it, between it you and your parents. It wasn't like that in those days. Airfares okay. were very expensive. Sure. School fees apparently were very expensive. Mm. They ran out of money. Anyway, I was enrolled in a French school, secular school, yes. when I returned to Africa at the age of 11. Uh, but they ran out of money, so um, I had to stop schooling and I had to um, take some uh, correspondence to continue some, some kind of education. And uh, mother died when I was 14, so she had mm. breast cancer and she died. And my father was um, away in the bush because his work was with farmers in the bush. So I had to live with cousins. Yes. Uh, and I worked as well as did other things. But going prior to that, when I was at the school, at the um, boarding school, the, the Jesuits, mm. I remember at the age of eight <clears throat> when I had to do uh, my first communion because it was a Jesuit school, and they instructed us what to do. And I went into confession for the first time, and they told us what to do to go in there and confess our sins and then come out. Yes. And I did. Mm. And said my penances, which is Hail Mary's and our uh, fathers and fathers. Yes. And that's about it. And then when I walked out, I was walking down the corridor and all of a sudden I remembered I had forgotten one sin. Oh. And I just froze. And I was terrified to go back because mm. they're very strict. Yes. And I thought I'll be punished. Mm. And couldn't do anything about it, and I thought, well, I could have gone back and, you know. Potentially uh, face the consequences that may have come or right, may not have exactly. come. That's right, exactly. So I decided not to. Mm. But the next day on the occasion when I had to, we have our Holy Communion, we were dressed in tuxedos and white shirts, impeccably white shirts. Mm. But in spite of all this, I felt dirty. Wow, because now, of that one unconfessed one sin. sin yeah. And when people think about uncleanliness, yeah. I experienced that wow. at the age of eight. Uh, I experienced that uncleanliness. And what gets me now is I could have confessed straight to God. Mm, but you didn't know that at the time. That wasn't part know. of the instruction, no, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, and that day, the next day, it was so miserable. I looked at my shirt and I saw it was white, but yet I felt dirty. Mm. So I understand what the word being unclean means. Yes. Um, but the interesting part is when I returned home at the age of 11, Father will take me to church on Sundays, mm. and I would go to confession on Saturdays, which 
Sabbath evening, this is what we did. Yes. He would wake me up at five o'clock and we would walk to the church at six o'clock in the morning. But one day mother was driving me to <clears throat> to church for confession and we went past the Protestant church. And I said to her, I said, Mom, this is an 11-year-old. Mm. I said, Mom, what's the difference between that church, the Protestant church, and our church? Yes. And she said, oh, they confess to God directly. We have to go through a priest. That was your mum's answer. Wow. That was my mum's answer. And I thought to myself, well, that's so much better. <laughs> yeah, direct access. Direct access. And I thought, why do we have to go through a priest? Mm. But you can see that uh, when I became a teenager, I lost that religiosity. I stopped going to church mm. because naturally humans are hardwired towards God. Yes. And, and when churches be, be begin to do things that actually promote superstition, mm. uh, so then you begin to wonder when, when, when uh, teaching where religious education isn't accurate the way God wants us to receive it, yeah. then it fails. Yes, it distorts the image of God, isn't it, or the picture of, of what we have of God. It, is, it does. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know that then. I know that now because my spiritual journey was very arduous. Hmm. And uh, But God is stronger than all that, and he, can, he is able to do anything. Hmm. So um, the journey was being watched by God as, sure. as I have found him again in my life now. So your experience through that time, do you think it, it helped in some ways? Did it hinder in some ways a bit of both? Or do you feel that that was actually more of a distraction than anything? Um, I think it was um, – I still believe in God's providence. Hmm. And I believe that God saw this little boy who was very uh, sort of repentant yes. of what had happened. And I was very – I loved him. I loved God. Mm. I know I loved God at that time. Even at a young age. Yeah, and I yes. think his providence is something that we can't really explain, but we can only explain it at the end right? when it is complete. Okay. Um, when I came to Australia, I, I left Nigeria at the age of 21. Mm. And I went to Cameroons and worked for a year and then found out that Africa was finished. I, um, I think I predicted that right and I felt that Africa didn't have any future because I went through a war, which is the Biafran War, mm. and I could see the corruption. It's very sad when you, your own country is being torn apart because yes. of corruption. And also they denied me a... Nigerian citizenship mm. and uh, so I was a man without a country Wow! I couldn't go to Lebanon because it wasn't really my country I could not I could not speak the language well mm. could not write it well um, so it wasn't a place for me to be able to participate in the workplace really in the workforce so I decided either to go to South Africa okay or I thought no not that place because of course, that there was more trouble brewing, brewing there yes, down there. So yeah. I, I could see it at the age. This was in 1969. Right, okay. So I could see that. Uh, the other part was Canada, and I decided not to go to Canada because of the cold. Hmm. And the only place was Australia that was similar. So I applied for a visa and received it. Hmm. And then... Um, 
And then I thought, well, I, I established a business in Cameroon and it didn't work out. So I thought, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go to Australia. So I cashed my money, had them in chicks, and left for Paris mm. from Chad to Paris. Uh, Cameroon was a French territory, so right. I could cash that. And I had an investment in England, which is not much, but could could uh, look after me for a while. Mm. And uh, when I was in Paris, I wanted to cash the Swiss check that I received, but they couldn't cash it because there was a strike. Oh. And I had no money, absolutely no money. So I went to the Sûreté, which is the the, 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 the security, hmm. the, the police, to say, look, I haven't got any money. My visa is expiring. You will have to deport me. A fellow I met who ran an agency, uh, air agency, and he said to me, don't do that because you'll never be able to come back to Paris. Right. He said, I will give you a ticket. He said, go to Beirut and... Uh, cash this check. I will keep your other check as collateral mm. and then pay our agency in Beirut and then I will send you this check and you can go on your way. While I was at the airport in Beirut, a cousin of mine I hadn't seen since I was five years old yeah. recognized me. I was 22. Wow. Well, that's quite remarkable. And I was going to stay in Beirut and then carry on. He said, no, you're coming to Miziara, the town where my grandparents live. And mm. he said, you're going to have to come and see your grandparents. Yes. So he took me there, and I ended up staying there for six months. It was the most beautiful time I had ever spent, mm. a gorgeous place. And of course, so they still had the, the grapes and the figs and that? was that All that. All yeah. that, yeah. But in 75, as you know, what happened to Lebanon, the civil war, and it yes. tore it all apart. It didn't finish till 92. And I went back in 92 to visit my sister because when my mother died, my two sisters went to Lebanon to continue their education. Right. One of them became a teacher and the other one got married and returned to Africa. Mm. But uh, the, the, the war totally tore Lebanon apart. Mm. And I saw the consequences of it when I went back in 92. But uh, at that time I was in Australia. I had settled down in Australia. But something funny happened. Um, when I, we were in Africa, the, we had an altar. And on this altar, there was a statue. So of, this altar, was this in your home? Or? In our home. Okay. Most Maronites have an altar right. where they pr pray each okay. night. My father used to pray in his bed. I could see him. He was mm. praying every night. And um, on the altar, altar, there was a statue of St. Teresa. Okay. When I arrived, when I left Lebanon and went, arrived in Sydney, they opened at the duty, the duty officer opened the case and the statue was, I think I noticed it in Hong Kong. I don't know how it got to Lebanon and it got in my suitcase. My sisters must have taken it there after we left, my mother died and we left the house. Mm. And, and my auntie must have placed it in the suitcase yeah. uh, because I can't think of any other way how it would, would have got into the suitcase. Hmm. So I had this statue. I was still religious but not practicing. Okay. And I didn't want it somehow. Hmm. So one day I decided we should part company. 
and we did. I got rid of it hmm. that day. But when I came back from work, I opened the fridge, and there was the statue in miniature form in the fridge. In those days, the fridges had rails. Right. On the top shelf, there was a packet of butter, and butter had dripped from that packet gradually and formed during the day the statue of St. Teresa in the fridge. Really? It was about five inches long. I could not figure out how it was done. I Mm. mean, butter doesn't melt in a fridge. No, so the fridge was working at the time? It was working. Wow. I couldn't figure this out. Mm. And I was somewhat scared. Yeah. But I thought, no, I will not get the statue back. And that was the end of superstition. And uh, But I, I was very lonely in Sydney in those days because it was a different culture than we had in Africa. And you would meet people, and I came from a small town, mm. and you would not see them anymore. And, and I felt a bit of depression. Right. So I decided to go to the church. It was in those days when if I needed something, I'd go to God. Yes. And wanted to see if they had a retreat that I could spend with some priest and so that they could get me right mm. into the right track. But I went into a church in Sydney. I think it was in George Street. I still remember that church, walked in and talked to a, a, um, a young priest. And he looked at me and uh, he did not. I think he thought I was a bit mad. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't communicate with him because he thought, no, 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 we don't have such things here. Mm. So I walked out and um, got over my <clears throat> difficulties, made friends and continued yes. my life and my work, but never went to the church. But around 1980, this I, I arrived in Sydney in 1970. Around in 1980, I met a lady who I liked hmm. and wanted to befriend her. And she said to me, but I can't go out with you because you're not a Christian. Yeah. I said, oh, yes, I am. She said, well, what religion do you follow? And I said, I'm a Catholic. She said, well, you're not a Christian. Oh, really? <laughs> she did. <laughs> and... I never went to church, never mm. did anything, did not, did not practice Christianity, but I was shocked. Mm. And I said to her, well, what religion are you? And she said, um, I am a Presbyterian Reformed Church. Right. It was a church that, that uh, as Presbyterian Church was in Cronulla. Okay. And there was a pastor by the name of, his surname was Kerr, Graham Kerr. Mm. He was a missionary also in Papua New Guinea and came and he was the pastor for that church. Yes. But he decided that not all the church prayed. They didn't come to prayer meetings. So he collected all the, 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 the people that he felt were Christians mm. and prayed and seceded from that church and went and formed the Presbyterian Reformed Church. Uh, okay. And... Um, so I said, okay. She said, if you want to go out with me, you'll have to come to church. Hmm. I said, okay, I'll come to church with you. And she said, but not on the first Sunday of the week of the month. And I said, well, what's wrong with that? She said, because all the newcomers that aren't Christians are placed in the middle and we sit around them. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> I would have accepted 
actually doing that now yeah. because it would have been very interesting to see. Mm. So you sat in the middle because you're not part of the church. But I must say, when I first went to that church, I was shocked. I in was shocked in a, in, a, in a good sense okay. because I had never seen Christians like that before that followed the Bible. Wow. They were peculiar people. To me, they were peculiar. And, right. and for the first time, I understood what faith was. Okay. And I understood why she wouldn't go out with me because mm-hmm. they love God and they really loved God. But now I really don't understand how you can judge people. You can, you can, you can um, put up with people uh, just and and bring them back. The Bible tells us that you have to rebuke your your, your brothers and sisters and bring them back. Bring them back, them, yeah. And encourage them. Mm. So basically, this is what happened. I went for a while with her, and then I stopped because I felt she'll never go out with me. I have no faith. And so on. Yeah. So um, she, after that, she she went out with me, and I proposed because she became my wife eventually. Oh, okay. No, before that, I was watching a movie hmm. on you know those movies on television. Yes. And it was on the life of Saint Francis of Assisi. Okay. And. She wouldn't go out with me unless I became a member of that church. Hmm. And to become a member, I had to have faith. And I knew that I didn't have faith, so it was a, a stalemate. Right. But I was watching that movie and how this man was very rich and gave everything for God because he loved God. And I thought, wow. And, and it revived all that feeling for God that I had before. And I mm. thought, I would love that. And I love God. And I became a bit teary about this. And uh, But notice there's no Jesus in all the things that I have been except in that church. They talked about Jesus. So I went and told her, and I said, look, this is what's happened to me. She said, you're a Christian. You've just got faith. Hmm. She said, write a letter to the the, uh, committee, and they will accept you, and then we can go out. Yes. She didn't say that, but that's what she implied. And I wrote the letter, and I was accepted in the church. So when you become part of the membership of the church, was there a rite of baptism or anything like that at all? Or they just did, writing this they letter did and... baptize me okay. by sprinkling. Okay. And uh, and so I proposed. Mm. And what we're going to do, uh, Raymond, we're just going to take a break here and we come back and uh, I think you've already told us you married her, but I'd like to hear more about this proposal and what happened subsequent to that. Dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony and my special guest in the studio is Raymond Nahum. And we're just going to take a short break and we'll be right back after this message. Stay tuned. In 1898, two lions began attacking workers during construction of a bridge over the Savo River in Kenya. So many men were attacked that they had to halt construction. The man leading the project claimed 135 men were killed, although researchers long after the fact say it was only, only around 35, still a huge amount. They were eventually dispatched, the lions. Today, they're at the Field Museum in Chicago. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's not that the men were being careless, they weren't, but the trouble came to them. The devil's just like that. He comes to you. He's on a mission. Be sure you're connected to God today. We need protection against the roaring lion, and God is that protection. 
I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio today is Raymond Nahum. And Raymond, you were just telling us before the break that you started attending a church, being raised pretty much in the Catholic Church, and now attending the Presbyterian Reformed Church. And the reason you were there is because of a young lady. And you were just telling us before the break that you had just proposed to her. Yes. So we got married. Uh, people in the church were very skeptical. Hmm. And I think now, think back, I think they were quite correct. Uh, they told her to be careful not to not to marry me because oh. uh, in, I don't know at what stage, maybe before I got converted, but they were very kind to me hmm. after that. We married, but the marriage broke down. Right. I won't go into all the details, but hmm. the, the the main thing I can tell you is that Christ was in her heart and not in mine. Right. And some years later, I wrote to her. Hmm. Uh, she was remarried and apologized. I know in a marriage you always have fault at each, each side. Each yes. side. But yeah. I felt that uh, really basically uh, it was my fault in a sense because, like I said, Jesus was in her heart but not in mine. Hmm. She forgave me. Well, praise and, the Lord for that. That's good. Yes, mm. and I began a journey of being uh, an atheist simply because of that church. Before we that we broke up, the reason we broke up, one of the reasons, is I was so confused that I stopped going to church for about a couple of weeks. Mm. And they said to me, come back to church or we'll excommunicate you. Wow. And they ended up excommunicating me. Mm. And that's what I think contributed to the breakup because I felt if we're going to have kids, how are we going to live two separate sure. lives? How long have you been attending that church? That well, we church only were time? married for nine months. Oh, okay. And Short I thought it's better to we, – uh, we had a separation to break now before we, we have children. Yes. And that'll be difficult. Mm. And that's the reason I broke up the, the, the relationship or mm. the marriage so early. But that's in the past. But they, before that, when I was excommunicated, the one thing also that contributed to it, that I will never be able be for, to be forgiven by God. Mm. And in, they implied that I will burn in hell, in a sort of a right. sense. And, uh, and that really weighed down on me to the point mm. uh, it was like torture. Yes. So I had to fight against that idea. Yeah. So your, the picture they presented of God not being able to forgive you was a very different picture to what we actually find in the Bible. Well, I did but, not know the Bible. That's the yes. problem. I did not know the Bible. Mm. And that's that's where I feel that people really need to read the Bible. Yes. Not what people tell them, but what actually the Bible tells mm. them. And if they need some help, then really go to someone that can explain it to them. Yes. Um, but that's what led me to atheism, basically. So you re rejected that picture of God and said, if this is what God's like, I don't want anything to do with him or his religion. That's I will correct. become very secular, atheistic. That's yeah. right. And I led the life of, a, of an atheist. In 94, um, I went back to God briefly. Mm. And uh, you can see the struggle there and you can see the, the construction that is occurring with God being the architect behind it. Right. And I, I was led to a Baptist church. Okay, so you left in the early 80s 
from the church became uh, 83 atheist? years 83 and then it's about 11 years later you returned to god return so yeah. was there anything particular that made you spark back and say well look i need to go back to church yes there was uh in fact i had a health scare okay and i thought well life didn't mean anything and mm. it turned out it was a scare there was nothing about okay. it and it was and i wanted to go back to god it is the typical person who is really not converted and doesn't have faith but mm. believes that there's a power out there and runs to it when they need help right and as soon as they feel that that uh, that scare is away, help, yeah. it goes away. That's right. You it's don't like, need the medicine anymore. That's right. Yeah. It's just like having him in your back pocket, mm. and, and uh, it, it's a very sad thing to, yes. to 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 believe in that way. But this is what my upbringing in the church. Right. Okay. There was no faith. Mm. There was no education of religion and and faith and so on. So. Uh, and faith, I don't think it can teach it. I think it is something that uh, that uh, up till today I feel that you really have to have faith before you can be um, you can be close to God or walk with mm. God. Mm. So after that, um, I can't remember exactly, but in about when I went to Tasmania, I. Uh, uh, needed uh, an operation, I think, and I went. That was in 2010, and I went to a hospital in Launceston, and uh, there was an operation uh, that was required to be done in a certain way, and I studied the operation, and I said to the surgeon, "You're not doing it that way." Mm. So. <laughs> I was sent to another surgeon in Launceston. This was in Hobart. And I saw the surgeon. I, I contacted my doctor in Sydney, and he said to me, um, there's only one surgeon that can do that kind of operation that you want, you're asking for, yeah. and that is in Launceston. And I went back to, to Launceston, and I said to the surgeon, said, can you do this operation? I don't want the other. And he said, why? And so I took a pencil and paper and explained why. He said, have you got a medical background? And I said, no, I just studied it. Mm. And he says, well, I haven't done these operations for 10 years. Well, that just should have sent an alarm, but it, I, I looked at it and I thought it was simple. I said, well, if you don't want to do it, send me to another surgeon. I went to a hospital which was called St. Luke's, hmm. and there was Bibles everywhere. And being an atheist, I signed a form. I said, I do not want to see pastors. I don't want to see priests. I don't want to see anybody. Yes. And there was Bibles, unbelievable. It was everywhere. Hmm. There was a chapel and so on. Anyway, the operation failed, mm. and um, I was in intensive care, and I felt that I was going to die, and I didn't care. I wasn't afraid yeah. because I, I had settled in my mind that I was an atheist, yes. did not believe. You die, and that's it. That's it. That's it. It's gone. And so I healed after that, and I was sent to the ward. There was a woman came by my bed, and she went through past the others and was saying to them, and I knew she was a Christian, and she probably was, she came to me and she said, and they were rude to her, like saying, go away, you know, things like that. And I said, I can't be rude. Mm. I said to, when she came by, I said, she said, will you pray with me? And I said, lady, look, I said, I don't have faith. 
I've been through all this. I mm. just don't have faith. She said, do you want me to pray that you may receive faith? Wow. I said, it's no use. Huh? It's not going to do any good. Anyway, they wanted to send me home. And I said, no, I'm not going to go home until I recover properly. So what they did, they sent me to back to St. Luke's where all the Bibles are and everything. Mm -hmm. They gave me a big room because uh, the surgeon was feeling guilty about doing this operation that he couldn't do. And um, So I was sitting in bed one day, sleeping. I was tired. Mm. Someone walked in and opened the drawer, and I thought, someone wants my wallet. They can have it. I, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting up. Mm. I can steal it. When I woke up, I went to look in the drawer to see if my wallet was there, and there was a Bible. Mm. Some, the person that came in put the Bible in. Oh. How brave is that? I mean, you see someone in, on their bed, and you go in, open the drawer, put a Bible in. Mm. I'm wondering about this. I always wonder about what happened, who it was. Yes. Your wallet was still there, hopefully? It was there, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> so I picked the Bible up instead of shutting the door up to our Bible. I picked the Bible up and I said, I love reading the Bible. And think about it. I've ne- I haven't read the Bible much. Mm. When I was married, I probably read some of the Gospels, but not deeply. Yes. And I thought, well, what would I read now? I like the Gospel of John. Hmm. So I opened the Gospel of John and began reading it. And as I read, there was tears coming down my face hmm. from my eyes. And I thought, why am I saying I'm not a Christian? Obviously, I love God. Hmm. I am a Christian. At that moment, I received my faith. Wow. It was unbelievable. And I went to bed. It was evening. The next morning when I woke up, I had this joy, this unexplainable joy. It was mm. when you think about the Holy Spirit, joy, love, peace. Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. I yeah. had that. This is the first thing you receive, and this is why it's probably written, firstly, love, joy, peace. Yeah. And uh, I thought, oh, yes, I'm a Christian now. <laughs> and the next word that came out of my mouth was, I need to change. I can't be the same as I was before. Yeah, wow. That was the Holy Spirit speaking through mm. me. You need to change. You can't be the same. You can't. So you, you pick up this Bible, you read the Gospel of John, and while you're reading it, your heart is touched, you, you, your tears, and you discover you have faith. Yes. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 7, that faith comes by hearing and exactly. hearing the Word of God. So you were hearing, you were reading the Word, of, reading God, the Word of God, and that's how faith came to you. Came, exactly. Wow. And that was by God's impelling power. Yeah. It's not me. Mm. I have no faith. So God has been watching and has been sending people to me yes. to talk, and I've been rejecting that. And finally, God says, here's the scriptures. Mm. I give them to you. You choose whether you want to read them or not. And I chose to read them. Had I disobeyed, this is what I was saying, if obedience, faith comes by obedience because I obeyed like Naaman the leper. You obeyed the promptings of the Holy Spirit, which led you to the Word. that's right. Okay, and that's how faith came. Faith came, obedience. Okay, that makes sense. And it's like the the blind person born blind and Jesus came and put mud on his eyes and spit. And had he not 
gone mm. and followed the instructions of to Jesus wash, to yeah. wash in the pool of Siloam, mm. he would not have been healed, but yes. he obeyed. Mm. So faith can have can be a, a two two way thing. You That's can right, you can yeah. have obedience, you get faith, and the other way right, you have you're faith yeah, so and you he, have obedience. The word of God came to him. Jesus spoke the word and said, "This is what you need to do." If he didn't do that, yes, they would have demonstrated he didn't have faith. But he did that, and he was healed. Exactly. By it. Yes, and it probably in my case is probably I didn't have faith in humans. Mm. Because of the school as I went to and the religion I was into before, that, that, that did not encourage you to have faith in people. Right. But when it came to the gospel where, especially John, you're hearing the voice of Christ firsthand. Yes. He's talking to you, praying mm. to you, praying to his disciples, praying to the people that would be converted. Mm. And you, it touches you. Um, so... Basically, that's what happened. I became a Christian. But what followed later was interesting because um, I was reading the Bible incessantly. I could not put it down. Right. And this is where the Holy Spirit, I think. And so I went home Mm. after the operation. And at home, I just couldn't put it down. Yes. I would read it every night. In the morning, I'd go to work. I'd go early to work. I'd start at 9, but I'd, I would leave at 7 and take my breakfast with me, uh, read a chapter of the Bible, read the Bible, and then eat my breakfast, have a prayer, eat my breakfast, and go to work at yeah. 9 o'clock. This was every day, reading the Bible at night and reading the Bible in the morning. And... I couldn't buy a Bible. I had to buy a Bible. I didn't know where to buy a Bible. I rang churches. No one could tell me where to buy a Bible. Mm. And I bought a Bible in a second-hand shop. It had pages torn from the New Testament. And I still bought it because that's how precious it was to Mm. me. And I remember being in the car one day, and I came across um, Galatians 2.20. I was crucified with Christ, yes. and I no longer live, but mm. Christ lives in me. And the life I lead is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Mm. As soon as I read that, I froze. I've never read it before. Yes, I froze totally. I could not continue reading, and I did not want this verse to be erased from my mind. Mm. I kept thinking about it. All day up till today. This is eight years ago. Yes. Until today. It was the strongest verse that I had ever heard that I had died and I no longer live, but yes. Christ lives in me. And this faith I live is because of him who died for me. Mm. It was very powerful, which is still powerful today. Yes, it is. And um, so I continued reading the New Testament and like I said, I could. I was avariciously reading this thing. I just could not put it down. Then at the end of the three months, I said to myself, well, I need to really go to a church because... And up to this point, I never read the Old Testament. Right. And I, I was sort of uh, a bit afraid of the Old Testament. I sort of didn't like it somehow. I never read it. Mm. But I decided to go to church. Now, naturally, when you go to church, you go to a church which you are familiar with, and this is the Reformed churches. So in Tasmania, where I was, there was a a church nearby, which was the Dutch Reformed Church. Uh So I went there, naturally. 
And, uh, and that's how it started. But as I was reading in the Gospels, um, I could see Jesus actually uh, referring to the Old Testament. There was more Old Testament than New Testament. <laughs> okay. So I decided to read the Old Testament to start with it. And I was hooked on the Old Testament. Mm. Really, it was, it, was, it was amazingly, you know. And now I believe the Bible is just one book. There's nothing okay. in between the Old and New Testament. Yes. And after three years, my suspicion grew stronger regarding the Sabbath. Uh, the first thing that caught my eyes was Jesus saying that, uh, talking about the end of the age, that if you, and they're superimposed, he might be talking about Jerusalem, the mm. destruction of Jerusalem, but at the same time, he says, when the tribulation's over, yes. you know, I will come in the clouds. So you can see this, this superimposition on, of yes. the two things together. And he's saying, pray that you wouldn't run or escape in the or flee in winter or on the Sabbath. Sabbath yeah. And I thought, well, if he is talking about the end of time, he actually is intending for the Sabbath to continue. Mm. Um, That's a good point. So apart from that, there was other things about the Sabbath that I was reading and throughout the Bible. There was, I don't know which came, came first. There was so much. Yes. I mean, there's Exodus 31, 17. It says oh, it's a sign between you and I to the Israelites, and it is a sign forever. And I believe very much that the church started with Israel, mm. and, and it continued, and it still continues because Paul talks about the remnant, the yes. Israel, yeah. and that it continues except that we have been grafted into church, the church of Israel. Mm. And Jesus is still the church. That's right, yes. And so we are part of that church. Mm. But there is also um, Ezekiel 2020, where he says, keep my Sabbath holy uh, so, uh, so that you will know that I am the Lord. Lord your God, yeah. Your God. So In verse 12 of Ezekiel 20 says that you know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies you or makes you holy. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. So, so you wouldn't know. That the, the logic is if you don't keep it, you wouldn't know the mm. Lord. You wouldn't have his blessings. Yeah. Another one which was powerful was uh, Isaiah 56 towards the end where he yes. says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please and on my holy day, and if you keep... If you if you Call consider the Sabbath the sab- a delight, a delight, the, the, on- yes. the honourable, the, the Sabbath honourable, mm. and if you honour it by not doing as you want, or uh, going your own way, doing or own speaking pleasure. idle words, yes. then you will find your blessings in the Lord. Mm. I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. That's right. And to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. Mm. Now the inheritance we look at. At, at Revelations 9, 7, where God says about the inheritance, he says, if you overcome, then you will inherit all things. I will be your father. I will be your God, and you will be my son. Now, this inheritance is about the, 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 the new world that we'll be going to. Mm. And there was a lot of strong things. There was one thing that I actually impelled me about the Sabbath uh, worship also, was is in Leviticus 17, 5, I think, yeah. or 17, 3, where he says, uh, keep the keep six days you shall work, but keep the Sabbath um, as a holy convocation or 
a sacred assembly, yes. which simply means church. And I look at the Sabbath is as, as a blessing to us. God wants us to be one day a week with him mm. so that we can sense his blessing, Yes. so that he can give us his blessing. But anyway, I went with it to the church and I said, look, the, the Sabbath is the correct day. And they said, no, it's not. And they pointed out at um, Colossians 2.16. Yes. And I looked at it, and I th- I accepted that for a while. Hmm. I accepted that. Then when I left the church, the pastor wanted to have a um, a talk with me, and he said, why? And he brought up 2.16, and I said, well, that's gone with the atonement. He's talking about the ceremonial laws. He said, where did you get that from? I said, read your Old Testament. Hmm. And uh, that did it. But some of the miraculous things that happened when I first joined the church, uh, that's before I discovered the Sabbath, was I prayed to God that he would, <laughs> he would speak to me about the Sabbath, about the Holy Spirit. Because yeah. I was concerned that I might have grieved the Holy Spirit okay. through what happened in my marriage and so on and so on. Mm. That was still haunting me about because you were told that you yes. couldn't be forgiven, so you thought it might have been the unpardonable sin. That's right. Okay. Uh, that Sunday, after that prayer, during the week, the whole sermon was about the Holy Spirit. Mm. All of it. Wow. The next Sabbath, I, the next Sunday, I prayed about God instructing me on how to pray. Again, the whole sermon was about prayer. Incredible. It was amazing. And the third one was because I was sort of reluctant to give 10% of my wage. Hmm. And I thought, uh, well, God, inspire me about what should I give to the church. And I will tell you the title of the sermon, You Rich Fool. <laughs> <laughs> I so didn't right. go any further than that. Right, so uh, this... 10% was going out. Yeah. But God wants for us to, to maintain the church. So we give 10% of what we earn, yes, and we give him one day in seven mm, That's right. of what he asks. It's not for him. It's for us. Mm. I mean, it's like Jesus was baptized, not because he needed baptism, yes, but it is as a demonstration for us, as a, an example for us to follow. Mm. And I think God is doing the same thing with the Sabbath. He keeps the Sabbath to show us that he is keeping the Sabbath for us to follow. Right. Same thing as when he met with Moses. He said to Moses, you come up to the mountain to mm. me in Exodus twenty-five fifteen. Yes. And, and Moses goes up and the cloud came down onto the mountain. Moses was up there in the cloud. Mm. God was in the cloud. Yes. But did not call Moses to commune with him until the Sabbath. The seventh day. Moses yeah. had to wait six days. And on the seventh day, God calls him. Mm. He says, let's commune. And then Moses ends up staying with him for 40 days yes. uh, to get the whole law. Um, so basically, at the end, when I really felt that the Sabbath also, what, what really struck me is Revelations eleven nineteen. Yes. When I was reading Revelation and I saw the Ark of the Covenant mm. in the temple, and I sort of reasoned that the typology comparison between the ark in heaven and the ark which he told God told Moses to put the Ten Commandments in yes. the ark yes. would 
would say that the Ten Commandments are in heaven in that ark also because that is the copy. Mm. Uh, that, that is the the the, the, the original. The, the, yeah, the, and we had a copy on earth, yeah, but that's the, the original. The original. Yeah. So that's what made me come, and that's what made it more pleasant for me to realize that I had some synergies with Seventh Day Adventism, okay. because they also talk about the ark in heaven. When I read that in the history, I thought, wow, mm. this is what I believe. And also in the Reformed churches, they were beginning to talk about evolution. There were things that I could not agree with. They were okay. talking about uh, hell burns forever. Mm. Uh, talking about predestination, which means okay. you cannot go unless God That's says right. that you go. Not so that we free accept. will is actually not part of the no. equation. God has determined whether you're saved or whether you're lost. Yeah, and th mm. that makes God a tyrant. Even yes. me with theological dwarfism, that mm. I, I felt that God is a tyrant, and you can't. Mm. When you love God, you just don't accept that God is a tyrant. Yes. So predestination is making God a tyrant, and then he chooses that you're not saved. Then he creates a hell that burns forever, and he mm. throws you in it. That's right, yeah, and you had no choice. Yeah, no choice. Yeah. So it does not make sense. No, it doesn't. And I think that comes from Calvinism. That's and I, right. when I look at it, I think it comes from French politics because the French judiciary system mm. is you are guilty before you are. Okay, so it, guilty until proved innocent. Until proven innocent. Instead of innocent until proved guilty. Exactly, okay. so you can see the, 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 the connotation, the, the relationship mm. here. To, so it's in the mind that's... that's talking about this. So uh, when I decided, the, so that there was evolution, they were talking about evolution also, mm. which I didn't believe in because I'm a creationist. Yeah. And so predestination, the state of the dead, mm. even Paul tells us when Christ comes, we shall rise and meet him in the air and we shall be changed mm. and so on. They and we get, shall not precede those who have fallen so, asleep. So we are going to heaven. And I was going to funerals and I was saying, oh, that the person is up in heaven already. Yes. Um, so basically, one day I decided that that's it. Uh, there were some other things that happened. I was driven out of that church. but I won't go through it, but the Holy Spirit actually drove me because I had no intention to leave until I came to New South Wales and I would leave quietly a year later. But something happened in the church and I was driven out. The music was so loud. Mm. And they made a mockery of, uh, they played a, a hymn that was very close to my heart. Yes. They jazzed it up, and I said, You can't do that. It's sacrosanct. Mm. You know, and I said, you can't. I said, If you do that again, I'll have to leave. I just can't. I told the band. Yeah. And a year later, they did that. Mm. And they played it very loudly also. Uh, so before that, they played loudly, and I said, You can't play that loud. You're deafening, everyone. You're deafening me anyway. Yeah. And they the next week they played Amazing Grace, which is the thing that is close to my heart. They jazzed it up and people were twisting at the back of the church. And I thought, that's it. Mm. And I walked out. I went to the Seventh-day Adventist in Margate and looked at the building on a Sunday. Not I knew they weren't worshiping on a Sunday. Yeah. But the next Sabbath, I went there and I said, I'm coming to worship with you. Wow. And that's how I ended up a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, and then I the was Lord. baptized a year and a half later. And uh, miracles after miracles, of, of blessings after blessings occurred after that. You mm. can't imagine. I can sit here for another two hours telling you all the blessings. And, yes. and not only me, every person in the church mm. had a story to tell. I went to Devonport, 
There were stories to tell. I went to Sydney in Karimbao. There were stories to tell. I was writing to a friend back in Margate, and I was saying, strange, I went, there's all these Adventists that came to the church, and everyone has a miracle to tell me, has a story to mm. tell. And it reminds me of the part of Revelations where they said they sang a song that no one else could sing. Yes, that's true. Now, dear listener, we just got to take a quick break here. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio today is Raymond Nahum. And he's just been sharing his life journey. We're just going to give you our contact details, and we'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio is Raymond Nahum, and he's just been talking about his journey, how God has led him all his life, and he finally came to a church where every person he met had a story to tell about how God has led them and the miracles in their life. Thank you for sharing your miracle with us today and how God has been leading you. But if any closing remarks for us as we wrap this up? Well, yes, I feel that God is journeying in everyone's life. Mm. And it's just a matter of people reflecting on what God is doing. And and read his word, walk with him, because you cannot walk with him without reading his word. Amen. And then uh, put your trust in him. Amen. Jesus said, you believe in God, put your trust in me also. Amen. Thank you with those beautiful words, dear listener. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Raymond, for coming to share your testimony. May God continue to bless you and lead you, and may your testimony inspire many others to also follow Jesus Christ. Dear listener, we look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.